Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Emergencies. I'm Rebecca Richards and today I'm joined by Professor Susan Dodds, who is the Deputy Vice-Chancellor and Vice-President of Research and Industry Engagement, as well as a Professor of Philosophy at La Trobe University in Australia. And today, Professor Dodds talks about the vulnerabilities that different carers might experience during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. This is Just Emergencies, the podcast where we show that global health emergencies are anything but just. In each episode, we'll explore an issue, question or event that makes us think about global health emergencies, humanitarian crises and how to best respond to them. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Um, Hi, Susan. Thank you so much uh, for joining me today and welcome to the Just Emergencies podcast. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Lovely to be here. As the COVID crisis is developing, we're seeing that it's laid bare several challenges for those with caring responsibilities. Could you tell us a little bit about what those caring responsibilities might look like and what, in your opinion, the key issues are um, around those challenges during this time? Sure. Well, there's a lot of different kinds of caring responsibilities, but one of the first and foremost ones is the caring responsibilities of healthcare workers uh, and the way in which uh, this rapidly emerging crisis has put them, one, at the front line for a new virus, and so questions about how they protect themselves, but also how the risk of infection affects the way they care for patients, but also the way it affects their personal lives. So very many stories coming out about um, couples, one of whom may be uh, a healthcare worker and that may find themselves having to live in separate places or separate out parts of the house, um, and especially their links with their children at that point. So there's, there's that set of issues. And that also turns up some of our our interest in questions about care workers who are not health care workers, so that um, the range of care that's provided um, in disability services, in aged care settings, um, in settings where people are dependent on others for care, and whether some of the restrictions that have been um, put in place by governments create difficulties in providing that care because the exclusions that might allow healthcare workers to have direct contact with others may not have been negotiated for people who provide other care. And then the third bit is that um, in many uh, countries, the way in which managing and trying to to reduce risk of infection has occurred is to ask uh, people to work from home, have um, often have closed schools as well. So very often we're expecting people to adapt to working um, from home, working remotely, using um, Zoom and others to, to, to keep people in contact with their work, as well as caring for children and being concerned about family that one may not be able to have contact with. So those are the three key kinds of care, but it also um, reflects the questions about our expectations about the responsibilities of healthcare workers, the kind of um, amorphous relationship of, uh, of other kinds of care provision in the COVID crisis and the responsibilities of parents. And often all three of these could come together in the same person. So together with Professors McKenzie and Rogers, you have written a fantastic book on vulnerability that has been one of the cornerstones of our project. 
So considering that, um, how does using a vulnerability lens help us understand those concerns that you just mentioned? Look, thank you, and thank you for the nice words about the, the project. It was a fantastic project to be involved with. But in that view, we use vulnerability to capture both the inherent vulnerability that all of us share, uh, but also to recognize that often when we talk about the vulnerable, we're talking about groups of people who are thought to be particularly vulnerable in a context. And if you apply the vulnerability kind of lens to, to COVID, then you see that the vulnerability we all have to infection, when we all have that same vulnerability at the same time globally uh, with a new virus, um, it turns out that a lot of the social structures we had which were um, uh, shaped to try to protect us against certain kinds of vulnerability, start breaking down. Um, so the, the capacity for our healthcare systems, for our economic systems, for our social welfare systems, to provide the kind of support we normally expect to make it possible for us as vulnerable beings to negotiate the world without um, being constantly aware of our vulnerability broken down. But also that we find that what we talk, talk about in the book as pathogenic vulnerability, vulnerabilities which might have been created as a result of an attempt to try to mitigate against vulnerability, um, certainly turns up in things like age care settings or disability care settings where we've got people who are dependent um, to have a reasonable quality of life on the care of specific other people to look after them. But in some cases, that care is not available because of um, changes to the workforce um, or because of policy restrictions. But it, that, that absence of care also um, sometimes has that, in fact, uh, inflection of there being an absence of oversight. So I think some people have been concerned in Australia, for example, following a royal commission into um, abuses of people within um, aged care settings that, well, if nobody is going and visiting, then we don't know whether or not um, certain abuses are occurring. So we have on the one hand, um, the structures that allow for us to have decent quality of care settings, but we've got the carers are vulnerable. The people who are cared for are dependent on someone else to provide that care. And the policy settings make everyone more vulnerable. Um, so we've got that idea of pathogenic vulnerability arising from that. Um, and some of that's about failing to recognize the value of, of that care, which is reflected in the poor pay rates that those people have and the conditions often those people have who are providing that care, but also to our, our lack of valuing of people who are dependent on care. We don't see them as full citizens. Um, so I think that our inability to recognize that quickly enough has been partly a function um, of, uh, of a failure to socially value those areas. And so, so I think that the, the vulnerability lens assists us in identifying how it can be the case that new vulnerabilities arise beyond those associated with being vulnerable to infection if there's a, uh, a new virus going around um, and the way in which our vulnerabilities are shaped by everybody else around us. You know, you mentioned there that carers, their, their important function isn't always recognized, especially ahead of time. But then obviously we see during times like this just how important um, these people and their roles are. And then the care sector, especially the informal unpaid care sector, acts as a shock absorber and it props up the health system during these times. So it, it it's so unfortunate that that isn't recognized in advance and that systems aren't built to support people who are, who are serving those, as we see now, really important functions. And, and often we also seem to think that those people are robust themselves, that they don't have physical limitations, that they 
you know, you think about the mental health challenges that people are facing as a result of um, the restrictions associated with COVID, that they, they can't travel, that they can't go out, that very often there'll be people in inadequate housing, multiple people in, um, in, in the, sharing the same space, expected to work, expected to, um, to help their kids to learn, and expected to care for people. <laughs> then it's not surprising that people find that, that, that they have mental health challenges, whether they're embedded in their family and trying to, to manage, or if they're isolated and not able to reach out to the people who often provide them with the emotional support that allows them to be able to be appropriate care. So let me just imagine you're, you know, a single person who's traveled. We now have a global care workforce, um, often with people traveling uh, to other countries to provide um, care. Um, sending remittances home, but not able to travel at the moment, and often very, very isolated. They'll be living, you know, um, in, in a single environment, and but caring for somebody else during the day, and feeling extremely emotionally vulnerable um, as a result. So, we, we we take a lot of that for granted. How can we improve pandemic responses? Which is such an easy to answer question, I'm sure. But how can we improve pandemic responses in ways that could help reduce those vulnerabilities? Sure. Well, I think that, that thinking of pandemics is holistically, and I think most public health measures seek to try to achieve a holistic approach. But I don't think that uh, often governments or policymakers, when thinking about the shape of their social service provision and their healthcare systems, think of them as being um, part of a much richer web of social relations. They tend to compartmentalize. So building our healthcare systems so that they have enough spare capacity for flex, because that's been one of the, the biggest challenges, is um, if you've been running your healthcare system incredibly efficiently, you don't have spare capacity. And so... It doesn't take much to knock it over. Secondly, to uh, look at the um, the features of how we how we make um, that buffer, as you were saying before, of the informal, unpaid, or in places like the U.S., where people will often be reliant on private home-based care, but very poorly paid for workers, that, that those people working from their home um, often have no protection, um, no regulation. And so if we were to think about how we ensure that the support for the healthcare system that comes from that informal or poorly paid areas of healthcare, um, that whole spectrum, that if we improved uh, the quality there, then we probably would have more capacity. Um, clearly, we've seen the resurgence of attention to uh, what it means to be a woman in work, given that primary care responsibilities for children still rely with uh, women overall. Uh, and similarly, care responsibilities for aging parents often sits with uh, women more often than with men. And so that double or triple duty that women are often playing. So um, in the Australian context, we've had our first foray into free early childcare uh, services uh, rather than expecting uh, people to have to pay. That's made it possible for some people to stay on the front line who otherwise wouldn't. Um, but uh, clearly the, the economic benefits of having, having a workforce that isn't um, dependent on their own means to be able to, uh, to pay for childcare is important. Um, but understanding what that childcare is doing is also important. What's the quality of that care? How do we make sure that um, it's a good place for kids to be? Um, and how do we uh, allay parents' concerns in the case of, of uh, 
of a highly infectious disease um, that we're not just putting children into situations where they're more likely to come home uh, with an infection than less. So I think that, that thinking about healthcare, thinking about housing, thinking about other forms of care um, much more holistically uh, would be really important for states to be able to prepare for and respond to pandemics much better, um, but also thinking about the international dimensions of those. Um, most countries have uh, gone very insular um, through this process, but in fact, the healthcare workforce is a global workforce. Um, and it's a global workforce that uh, has very, very complex relations. Um, and if we don't attend to that, then we're likely to find ourselves with huge gaps into the future. I am of the opinion that we should print out millions of copies of your taxonomy of vulnerability and just send <laughs> it to all policymakers and with a little checklist saying, have you considered this, this and this? If not, go back to the drawing board. That's very generous of you. I think that, that, that clearly for, for me, that uh, that capacity to draw on that, that, that I approach to vulnerability makes it much easier to see how it's the case these uh, vulnerabilities pop up or that things that we thought we had uh, sorted out reappear. And that also that, that, you know, if you think about the vulnerabilities associated with people being at home within uh, abusive relationships and the children who are affected by being in those relationships when everyone's locked up at home, all the things that help to mitigate against people having the damaging consequences of vulnerability um, are under threat through a, a pandemic such as this one. And, and so um, being able to draw on an understanding of how it is the case that a person's more vulnerable in this context, that it's not just a matter of choice, it's not just a matter of um, you know, some kind of biological property of the individual, but in fact, it's about the complex relationships that we allow to happen within society and some of those are very damaging. Well, thank you very much for giving us a better understanding of vulnerability in this context. Thank you very much for taking the time um, to talk with us. Look, thank you very much too. Thank you, Rebecca. So that's it for today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Episode transcripts are available below the episode description. We also have show notes on our website where we not only list all the references mentioned in this episode, but also give you some further resources if you're interested in learning more about today's topic. If you have any questions, comments or ideas for topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes, please email us at ghe at ed.ac.uk. We're also on Twitter as at Mitra and Rev underscore Richards. Be sure to check out and explore our website justice and global health emergencies and humanitarian crises for more great content just go to www.ghe.law.ed.ac.uk forward slash thanks for listening and see you again for the next episode this podcast is edited and produced by rebecca richards and made with funding from the welcome trust